Are you ready? We, um, there's so many new people coming um, to this church, coming to Christ. And, and one of the things about uh, new people coming in is everybody has an opinion. You should be proud of it. Everybody has an opinion. It's one thing we all have in common. Whether you express it or not, you have an opinion. Uh, and, and so one of the things to deal with in a church moving forward, trying to reach people, trying to, to um, affect the gospel going forward. And, and we say that here. We, we want to serve, save, shape uh, our community for Christ far and wide. Not just this community, but we want to serve people. We want to just genuinely love on people and serve them. We want to see them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We believe there is only one name under heaven, which men can be saved, which anybody, it's Jesus. And then we want to see people shaped into committed servants. We want, we want to see, we want to see us serving our neighbors without anybody having to ask. And so in that process, we want to see it go far and wide, as far and wide as God will let us go. So it's the unifying vision we have in this church. And and we have some core values that we're gonna launch into today. And we're actually gonna do it for about six weeks. And, and so we're calling it core, isn't that nifty? We're gonna get down to the core of the issue. And I wanna talk to you today and for the next about month and a half uh, about things that we hold dear here at Hope Community Church. And so are you ready for that? Amen. Why don't you stand up? I think today is going to help you. We're going to have fun. And so if you came to church and you don't like laughing in church, it's going to be a bad day for you because we like to have fun. We like to laugh here. I believe the joy is the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And God is not a party pooper. Can I say that? She said poop in church. God likes to have fun. He made you. Psalm 133, say amen if you're ready to hear it. Psalm 133, it'll be up on the screen for you. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. I'm gonna read that one more time. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And then one more verse that may seem out of place in all this, but we'll tie it together here in a bit. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no revelation, People cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. Father, we thank you this morning. God, we believe uh, that you want to change us today, Lord, that we're here on purpose, that you want to you want to say something to us. I believe, Lord, our hearts will be open to hear it. If we made the trip, we might as well listen. God, do what only you can do in our lives. And we will give you the honor and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. It's a beautiful description of 
the presence of God in the Old Testament, they used to pour oil on people's heads, indicating the anointing, um, the presence of God when David was anointed king. You see this. And so what Psalm 133 says is that is that unity, when, when, the, when God's people are in unity, it, it's like, it, it is the anointing of God. It's the presence of God on us. And this is where, if you've been in church uh, and you've heard this saying, uh, where there is unity, God commands his blessing, this is where, it, it, that's a paraphrase of this scripture right here. So the psalmist is saying, uh, when, when God's people are unified together, uh, there's, there's an anointing, there's God's presence on them, and, and then the blessing of God comes along with it. So I believe that, that it's the basis for moving forward. Unity is the basis for moving forward. And if you've ever played tug of war, you never get anywhere. Even if you win, you haven't moved. Somebody like, well, let me think about that. I played tug of war a couple times. When we won, it felt good. Yeah, but you didn't go anywhere. You just beat the other, other team. So unity is actually the basis for moving ahead in God's calling on your life. I believe it's like the foundation. And so, um, so we're going to talk about that. One of our core values is unity. We believe that when we are unified as a body of Christ, when we are unified, we're going to talk about all kinds of ways we can be unified. But if, when we're unified as a body of Christ, there's really nothing that can stop us. Amen? There's really nothing that can hinder, nothing that can get in our way when, when a group of people have set their minds on coming together and accomplishing what God has set out for them to do. Look out. So you say, well, that's a, that's a good trick, Chris. How do we get unified? That is a good trick. Because we live in a society that is anything but unified. If you turn the TV on, there's, there's no unity on the TV. If you turn the news on, there's no unity in the news. How many, how many old timers do we have in here? Raise your hand if you feel like an old timer. I'll give the clarification. I'll give the clarification. I, I, think, I think people my age have a unique opportunity. I think pastors my age have a unique opportunity because I was born before the internet. Somebody say hallelujah. When the nurse walked into my hospital room, she didn't get on a computer. When, when my parents brought me home, they didn't put pictures of me on Snapchat. It was funny last night, um, uh, my, my oldest daughter's home, so everybody's in the house, and, and uh, they, I realized that they had ordered, my kids a couple years ago, I think, bought a Polaroid camera from a, a flea market. And I thought, you do know you have a camera on your phone. So last night I realized they had ordered, you can still get Polaroid film. So they ordered it. So I heard this big, it works, it works. We paid two bucks for this camera and it works. <laughs> it, was, it was neat. So, so the kind of the uniqueness of my age group of people is, is that I, my wife and I got married before the internet. We moved into our first house and did not have internet. We, we, we didn't have cell phones. We, didn't, we, we learned how to have conflict 
looking at each other. Somebody say amen for that. Anybody remember that? When at least you had to hear the sound of their voice on a payphone. And at least, guys, listen, at least you knew that the quarter was going to run out. Somebody say amen for only, you only got a certain amount of time on a payphone. You didn't get unlimited access. You put a quarter in, you're like, babe, you better hurry up because I'm almost out. You got like 30 more seconds. I can hear the operator saying it's almost over. So we learned how to do conflict in front of each other, where it meant something, where you had to look somebody in the eye and you were guarded in what you were going to say because now you're standing in front of them. And now we live in a society who has no idea how to do conflict. We will smile at people and then get on Facebook and rip them. But yet God has still called us to be unified in a culture that doesn't understand what it looks like. And so in many ways, what God is calling us to do is more difficult today than it's ever been. It was easier back in the day because two guys could have it out. Then you were like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. Now you got to now you got to deal with the aftermath of everything. And, and are they going to post it on social media? And, and now, what's the, well, oh my goodness. And, and how many emojis should I use? Well, they put, they put two smileys in a, in, a, in a sort of smiley. And I don't know what the, why'd they put the sort of smiley at the end? I don't know what the, I thought we had made up. But the sort of smiley, I think because it's at the end, overrides the two big smileys. And I just don't understand Why? I'm like, dude, you better get over yourself right now. So no emojis. Forget it. I'm not doing it. I put a strong emoji up every time. <laughs> what are you having for dinner? Strong. <laughs> Where are we going? Strong. <laughs> Whatever you're going to do, do it big. In a lot of ways, it's impacted the church. It's impacted our marriages. It's impacted everything we do. This, this. But you know what? It's so important. One of, one of the most important things Jesus prayed for us is he said, he said, if they could be unified, nothing could stop them. There's some scriptures that, that support this. John 13, 35, it says, but by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He says, if people look at you, the church, and you're loving on one another, then they'll believe it. But if they look at the church and we're eating each other alive, don't talk about the love of Jesus. They're never going to believe that. If you're eating each other alive, they're never going to believe Jesus loves them. John 17, 23 says, I and them and you and me, Jesus talking to the Father, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. He said the indication that Jesus is the Son of God is that we love each other, that we're in unity. Acts chapter 4, verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possession was their own, but they shared everything they had. I think that's awesome. And I was wondering if, if in modern day times anybody had a Harley they were thinking about. Like, well, if we all have it in common, man, just drop it off at the house. Everybody's like, I don't think that's what he's talking about, Chris. It says they were concerned with each other. Paul writes to the Philippian church, chapter two, verses one. He said, therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he's saying basically this, if you've come to Christ and received anything, 
If you've gotten anything out of it, if you've been forgiven, if you've been loved on, if you've gotten anything out of coming to Christ, then Paul's painting this picture like a father figure. He says, I make my joy complete. He said, if, if this relationship with Jesus has benefited you at all, I'm the God that introduced you to him. So complete my joy as a father. And you know what he asked him to do? Being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He didn't say, he didn't say give more. He didn't say, he didn't say uh, show up to church more. He said, man, be unified. Out of all the things he could have picked, he said, if you want to make me happy as a spiritual father, be unified. That's a big ask. Because like we started out, all of you have, a, have opinions about how everything should go. I have an opinion about everything should go. We have conflict. We have disagreements. So I want to I start off. We, we, we started by saying unity is the basis to move forward. It's the, it's the base at which God's blessing comes on us. But I want to talk to you for a second about a couple things that unity is not. Are you ready? We're going to start out with a negative. I don't like doing that, but we're going to start off with what unity is not. Unity is not groupthink. Somebody say, you're all like, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and I say, amen. And everybody says, amen. We're all thinking the same. Trouble is you say, amen. You're like, I don't even believe that. Unity is not groupthink. And here's, here's my explanation of this. The worst thing that could happen, because here's what I know as a pastor, God wired you uniquely to see things uniquely the way he wanted you to see them. He speaks to you different than he speaks to me. I'm fine with that. If you see visions and I don't see visions, I'm fine with that. I'm not jealous. If you hear his voice and I don't, I'm fine with that. If you can walk outside and the bird will talk to you, that's weird. Um, <laughs> But God wired you a certain way to do a certain thing for his kingdom. And I am totally fine with you not being like me. It would be nice, but I'm fine with it. So here's the thing. If we come in and force everybody to think a certain way, we will not get the full picture of what God wants us to do. So the beautiful thing about the body of Christ is God is not asking us to all act the same way or think the same way or process things the same way. He created some right brain people and some left brain people. He created some people that work somewhere in the middle. And then he created some people that don't do any of it. You right brain or left brain is like, I lost my brain years ago. So as a pastor, I want you to come in and bring your uniqueness to the kingdom. So in a society that wants everybody to think the same way, operate the same way, I know we talk about being individualistic, but as soon as the individual steps out, everybody gets nervous. Well, you can't do that. No, I want to encourage people to be different. I want, you, I want to encourage you to follow the call of God in your life. So unity is not you just dress. Listen, I've been in churches before where it looks more like a cult than the body of Christ. Everybody has the same haircut. Everybody wears the same clothes. Everybody talks the same way. Everybody goes to the same stores. And I'm like, what? I don't even know what's happening here. Like in six months, all you guys are going to be drinking Kool-Aid together. And I've already seen the movie. It ain't going to turn out well. Groupthink is not unity. 
Okay, here's something else. Unity is not the absence of conflict. Unity is not the absence of conflict. And that's what we, that's what we sometimes describe it as. Well, if we're all unified, we're not going to be fighting. Oh, no. Sometimes the desire for unity causes you to fight. We're going to get into that in a second. So if you think in our conflict-averse world, in our confrontational-averse world, where we can only have confrontation on social media and our cell phones, if you think that a conflict-free environment is the definition of unity, then you're going to be disappointed. Because all through Scripture, there were groups of people trying to do what God wanted them to do, and they were in conflict with each other. If you flip over to the New Testament and the New Church, the Bible says that the Apostle Paul faced the Apostle Peter to his face and said, hey, listen, man, what you're doing now, you can't keep doing it that way. But they were unified in the gospel going forward. And the reason that they had the conflict is because of the, they wanted the gospel to go forward. And one guy was doing something that wasn't going to allow the gospel to go forward. And so Paul steps in and says, hey, man, we're going to have to have a little talk. We're going to have to have a little conflict here. And I'm going to oppose you to your face. Well, that's not you. Oh, that's mean. We'll call it what you want. So there's, so conflict does not mean that we're, that we're not unified. Somebody say amen. How many of you like to fight? No, you can raise your hand. It's cool. Raise your, raise, for real, help me out. I like a good fight. I like a good argument. I, I like, I like, because the Bible says that iron sharpens. Now, how, how does that happen? You put a pillow in between them and you just, you just sharpen one iron with a pillow because we don't want to make any sparks, right? We don't want to actually rub up against somebody enough to cre- create an abrasion. But let me tell you something, church, there is no way to sharpen without abrasion. I'm going to say it again for this side. (laughs) There's no way to sharpen anything without abrasion. The the very process of the sharpening is you start out with something coarse, and then as the blade gets prepped into the condition, you you go to a finer and then finer and then finer and then finer abrasive material. Uh, My son and I are kind of into knives and stuff. And we got this, we got this knife sharpener thing and and we were enamored by it. We were just taking every knife in the house. And and we read all the instructions. They said, man, it'll change the bevel of the blade and it'll be so sharp and it'll hold it. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. It's amazing. But what you realize is you had to start out more abrasive at the beginning and then get to a finer. But in the church, for the sake of unity, we start out with the finer thing and then it never gets sharp. Okay, okay, that's fine with me. That's fine with me. If you want to walk around dull all the time, just keep being nice. If you want an edge that will hold, you have to start out with the most abrasive material. And so what unity, what unity looks like is that we can be abrasive towards each other for the sake of sharpening each other and we never lose our focus. 
So if you rub up against me about something, and I go, man, that was abrasive. And you say, man, I'm just trying to help out. The gospel's going forward. I can say, yeah, you know what? You're right. You're right. But then if I rub up against you, don't go, oh, well, that hurt. (laughs) Iron sharpens iron. So unity is not groupthink. Unity is not void of conflict. And the third thing, unity is not easy. Unity demands intentionality and focus. Because what happens is when the conflict inevitably comes in, Satan is going to try to convince you that the person that you're having conflict with doesn't like you. Or there's some ulterior motive. Or, well, they don't have everything perfect in their life. I've never seen a knife sharpened by a perfect file. Some of you will get that in a second. If you're searching for the perfect file to sharpen a knife, you'll just never sharpen the knife. Because what happens is God, God gave us imperfect people around us to help us to become more of who we're supposed to become. And so if you're looking for perfection before you take anything from anybody, you'll just always be, well, I'll let you fill it in the blank. So watch this. Where's, where's Cody? Is Cody in the house? Cody's coming up. He's going to, we're going to do illustrations. Is that okay? I don't do a lot of illustrations, but the ones I do are good. And it's going to be funny. Cody's going to get our prop and uh, make sure you bring the keys, bro. It's pretty important. If I'm going to handcuff myself to a dude, I'm going to make sure I have the keys. So remember this, unity is not groupthink, unity is not void of conflict, and unity is not easy. We have to have intentionality and focus to be unified. So watch what happens. There's a couple things unity requires. Unity requires vision. So now let's come back to Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Unity requires vision. Okay, can you throw that verse back up there? 29, 18. Unity requires vision. It says, where there is no revelation or vision, people cast off restraint. Now, if you go back to the book of Judges, you find out there was a situation in Israel's history where, where the Bible says that people did what, that man did whatever each of, of them thought was right. There was no unifying vision. There was no revelation of God as to what the community should do. So everybody just went, I'll do, I'll do what I want. I'll do what I want. And the biggest thing, to, the biggest contributor to disunity is just people going, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm a grown man. I'm going to do whatever I want. And so over and over in scripture, you, you see where the detriment of the society is people just going, I'm going to do whatever I want. The detriment to marriage is people saying, I'm going to do whatever I want. The detriment to raising kids is people saying, I'm going to do whatever I want. So watch, watch what happens. If unity is the thing that moves us forward, then vision is the restraint to get there. Watch what I mean by this. Are you ready, Cody? I've been practicing. It's pretty good. Oh, it locked. Okay. So, I mean, you don't have to go tight. I'm going to be more gentle with me. Okay. Watch this. The goal is to be unified. But the thing that unifies us is not that I always agree with Cody and not that Cody always agrees with me. The thing that unifies us is the vision. See this? This is the vision. God, what do you want to do here? 
What do you want to do here, God? So we pray and we pray and we pray and we seek God's face and we ask and we ask and we ask. God, give us a clear vision of what you want us to do. Let us look into your word and see what you want us to do. So, so as a church, we looked into God's word and we said, Jesus came to serve, not be served. And give his life as a ransom for many. It says at the last supper, he got down, put the, put the towel around his waist, and he washed the disciples' feet. So, so we said as a church, we want to serve people. If, if there's anything that Jesus did that was extraordinary beyond the religious people of the day, it was that he was willing to serve anyone. Why are you talking to the Samaritan woman? Because I'm here to serve her. Why, why, are, you, why are you walking? Uh, why, why are you interrupting them, convicting the woman caught in the act of adultery? Because I'm here to serve her. Why would you let a prostitute wash your feet? Because I'm here to serve. Why would you even engage people like that? Because I came to save, came to seek and save that is lost. He did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for me. So we as a church, we said, man, we're going to serve. We're just serve people. We've given gas away before. You know what? It's so, it's so funny. When you start giving stuff away, people's like, all right, you're from a church. What do you want? We want you to get gas and get out so somebody else can get gas. We don't want anything. You know, we started saying years and years and years ago, we started giving stuff away. We also said, if we give it away, we're going to pay for it. Because, because I thought it was weird that if I go to a company and ask them to donate something to us, and then we say we're giving it away, then we're not giving it away. They are. We're not serving. We're just a middleman. So we started saying, if we're going to give it away, it's going to cost us something to give it away. If I gave away Cody's house, it'd be easy for me, wouldn't it? Yeah, man, Cody doesn't need that. Yeah, you can have his house. No, but as soon as it costs me something, it's going to mean something. Amen? So we started saying we're going to serve people. Then we started saying we, we want to see people saved. We want them to escape hell. Hell is a reality, and we don't want to see people going there. And the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save those that are lost. And so if the church is doing other things besides people being saved, we're not, we don't get the picture. And then we said, we want to see people shaped into committed servants. And so we complete the cycle. We want to serve people, introduce them to Jesus, and then have those people serve people and introduce people to Jesus. You're like, that's genius. And we want to do it as far and wide as God will send us. If he sends us to Africa, we'll serve people in Africa. If he sends us to Spain this year, we'll serve people in Spain. If he sends us to Belgium this year, we'll serve people in Belgium. Whatever you want us to do, Lord. There's nothing too little. There's nothing too great. Whatever you call us to do. Now, here's the issue. Inevitably, Cody and I will one day disagree about how that works. Say amen. amen. You know it's coming, right? You know the disagreement's coming because Cody's a nice guy and all, but he doesn't think like me. It's a shame. But he doesn't think like me. So, so here's the deal. I can say, Cody, this is the vision God gave us. And he can say, man, I agree with the vision. I think that's what we should do. I'm in total agreement with the vision. The restraint. So what happens is when we get into the, into the details of working out the vision, Cody, I think we should go here and serve. I think we should go there and serve. I think we should do this. Cody says, man, I don't think that's a good idea. In a fallen world without restraint, 
what we end up doing is eating each other over the disagreement. But because the vision restrained us, now we can agree, now we can disagree and still move forward. Now, we're not playing tug of war, we're both pulling in the same direction. So what happens is now we say, now we say, listen, there's a disagreement, but that's not going to end it. Because we're restrained by the vision God gave us. Now, now, yeah, there's a disagreement, but we're not gonna we're not gonna hate each other because this is more important. Yeah, there's a there's a disagreement, but the vision that God called us to is worth working it out. And so where there is no vision, unity is impossible because everybody's casting off restraint. You can read it in Judges. It says they all did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And so there was zero unity in Israel at the time. But I'm telling you right now, if you will keep the handcuffs of the vi- if you'll keep the handcuffs of the vision on, there'll be unity. Can I get a little more personal here a second? Do you mind? I'm going to walk straight in your living room. I'm going to sit down. Beth and I decided years ago we were, we were going to agree with what type of kids we wanted. This is before designer babies and gene pulling, editing and all that stuff. I'm not talking about what color hair and eyes. I'm talking about they were born and we said, we want kids that don't lie. We want kids that don't quit. This is weird now because I'm talking about my spouse, but I'm handcuffed to you. <laughs> I think this is where the illustration starts to run out. We want, we want kids with a relationship with Jesus. We want kids that will work hard. We want kids, we want kids that excel in school. We decided up front, that's the kids we wanted. But after 23 years of marriage and 20 years of raising kids, do you think we agreed every single time? Lord, help us, we didn't agree. But the thing about it was, is we didn't attack each other because the vision of the kids we wanted restrained us. It wasn't about her way was flawed or my way was flawed. It was that we're in an impasse right now about how we get through this. But we still want the same kids. Are you hearing me? The problem, the problem why your arguments go awry is that you have no restraint. So why would I attack somebody that's going the same direction as I am? So it makes your arguments look different. Because if I'm arguing with Cody or my wife or anyone else, if I know they're restrained by the vision, I don't have to win the argument. If I know we're restrained by the vision, I'm still for them in the argument. If I know we're restrained by the vision of what God has put in front of us, then I don't have to worry about him personally attacking me. You know what's the problem with our society? We're, we're restrained by nothing. We're not restrained by the gospel. We're not restrained by a vision from God. We're restrained by nothing. And so every argument turns into this. You're a terrible person. Look how quick it happens. If I disagree with you about something, we automatically become terrible people. I don't, I'm not a terrible person. I just don't think like you. And there's room in the body for us not to think like each other. Amen? If you're getting ready to get married and it's beautiful and you guys have never even had an argument about where to eat out, get ready, brother. It's coming. 
It's coming. You'll be riding in the car. You say, where do you want to eat? I don't care. Well, let's go here. No, I don't want to eat there. Well, you just said you didn't care. Which one is it? You better have some restraints on. Because there will be things that come into your marriage that if you don't have restraint, you'll make your spouse out to be a devil when they're not. It's, it's, it's crazy to me how many, how many families are winging it week after week, month after month. There's no guiding direction in their life. They're just waking up going, I think I like you today, but it might change tomorrow. There, there's, there's no guiding vision for what they want to accomplish. They, you've never sat down and prayed, God, what? okay, we're going to spend the next 50 years together. What do you want us to do? What do you want us to accomplish? What kind of kids do you want us to have? What, where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? And God will always answer that prayer. But when we don't pray it, he doesn't have the opportunity to answer it. So what we do is we spend more time attacking each other because there's no restraints. You've been married 15 years, 20 years. You spend more time attacking each other than attacking the vision because there's no restraints. So marriage suffers, kids suffer, the church suffers because we refuse to put the restraint of vision on. And there can never be any unity without some restraint. You, you can take them off, it's getting weird. I'll tell you a story, probably, almost probably 15 years ago. I had... Um, <laughs> You know, what, you know what vision will cause you to do? It'll cause you to wait out a conversation until you can introduce the vision to someone else. Follow me on this. Thanks, Cody. You're a good spouse. <laughs> As a pastor, what you find is not everybody that comes in your room understands a vision. Not everybody that comes in your office understands a vision. So, so they assume that the reason I do things is just because it's the way I want it done. Pastor Don, Kinnop, he's been a pastor a long time before me. So what they assume is, well, he's controlling and he just likes it his way. So that's the, that's the idea. They have no idea that I sat down with a big group of people going, hey, what do you guys think? And they're like, well, we should do this. You'll get blamed for it. <laughs> yeah. So, so here, here's, here's the way I always approach these things because... Over the years, I've had people come into my office. I've had people come in my office and call me names. I had a guy 15, 20 years ago. I don't know how long it was. I'm sitting at my desk, and he said, it's a good thing for you. We didn't come to blows over this. And I thought to myself, bro, I'm saved, but I'm not totally redeemed. I can tell you that right now. I ain't totally redeemed. You come across that desk, I'm going to show you what vision looks like and what the lack of it looks like. Anybody ever had one of those moments? But here's what God taught me. Chris, if you, will, if you will wait with them long enough, if you will work through it long enough with them, you'll have an opportunity to present the vision to them. You'll have an opportunity to present the restraint. You know why you're calling me names and I'm not calling you names? Because I got a restraint. It's not because I like you, because you're calling me names right now. It's, it's not because I agree with you, because I, I don't think I'm that bad of a guy. But the reason is because I got restraints on. The restraint 
of the vision God put in me keeps me from saying that stuff. And here's what I believe. If I sit here long enough and, and listen to you blow off, then I can introduce the vision to you. And, and I've, I've done it with families, who, with couples who sit in front of me and they're just like, bang, 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 bang. And, and you just kind of wait it out. And you say, now listen, the end of the deal, God wants you guys to accomplish something for his glory. So I need to teach you to have a little bit of restraint with each other. Because it's, it's not about tug of war, it's about tugging in the same in the same direction. It's not about whether I'm right or you're right. It's about, it's about, come on, we can have an argument to figure this thing out, but there's some restraints on what we're willing to do. There's some restraints on what I'm, I'm going to say to you. There's some restraints on how I'm going to argue. And I actually believe this is so unique that if we could practice this in the church, it would, it would be shocking to our community. Hey man, you get out of that church, Hope Community Church. How is it? It's great. Man, that pastor's awesome. You're like, yeah, he is. Thank you. Do you agree with everything he says? No. No. If you agreed with everything I said, you'd be crazy. No, I don't agree with everything he says. But the restraint of the vision keeps me unified. You guys got a great family. You never argue like we do. No, no, no. The only difference is we let, we let the restraints of the vision keep us unified. She's my wife. I'll kill you over her. Is that because we agree? Nope, not all the time. But it's because we allowed the restraint of the vision to keep us unified for over 20 years. Has it been easy? There ain't nothing about unity that's easy. And if, and if you've been married 20 years and you're waiting on the goosebumps to come back, you better get a vision first. Somebody say amen. You better get a vision first because the goosebumps don't come back unless you get a vision that restrains your mouth. So unity in the body of Christ comes with work. It comes with restraint. But the ultimate thing that comes with it is Glory. Not just yours and mine, but we bring glory to the Father. Jesus said, if they could be one like you and I are one, everybody would believe you sent me. Everybody would believe you sent me. So our, our vision here at the church is to serve people, to see people saved, to see people shaped. It's far and wide, so let us do it. And I invite the debate. But we debate with handcuffs on. Amen? We debate with handcuffs on. Because I don't know about you, but we're all going the same direction. In your family, if you don't have a vision for what God wants to do in your marriage, sit down and start asking him. He will give it to you freely. And then the next time you get in an argument, just put your hand up like this. I'm letting you know I'm wearing the handcuffs of vision right now. You're my wife. You're my husband. And I'm not going to cross that line. I'm going to restrain. I'm not going to get angry anymore. I'm not going to call you names anymore. I'm not going to say it's your fault anymore. I'm going to restrain myself because God has something bigger for us to accomplish together than apart. Amen? 
when your kids aren't turning out the way you want to and it's causing all kinds, you just say, hey, I'm a, I'm a I got the handcuffs of vision on right now and I'm gonna restrain myself because the way our kids turn out is more important than me and you agreeing on everything. Than me getting my way. Paul said, Paul said, the way you can make my joy complete is be unified and don't do anything out of selfish ambition. So I wear the restraint. Amen? I wear the restraint. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to pray this way this morning. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray for marriages in here who don't even know what a vision looks like. I'm going to pray for families in here who've been just trying to figure it out. You're just waffling back and forth and, and you don't know what's going on. And I want to pray for a church that if we could stay unified, if we could wear the restraint of vision, then there is absolutely nothing that we can't accomplish together for the kingdom. Amen. So can we pray like that this morning? Father, you are the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, you know what you have set out before us to accomplish. You know the good works that you prepared in advance for us to do. And so we ask you, God, to give us that vision, Lord, to give us the unifying vision, the restraint that will keep us a family. I pray for every husband and wife in here in this moment, Lord, that doesn't know which direction to go. I pray that you give them a divine vision, a divine direction today. Lord, let them sense your presence, know that you're talking to them. A divine direction of what you've called them to accomplish together. And I pray, Lord, that every time there's a disagreement, they wear the restraint, God. And they put each other first. I pray for every family here trying to raise kids. God, give them a vision of who you want that child to be. Let them wear the restraint, God. We thank you. We honor you. We give you glory. And we pray that we'd be one in Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on, church, give him honor and praise this morning. He's good. Amen. Hey, listen, encourage somebody on your way out. Give a mom a hug, and we will see you back here next week. I hope to you.